Shalom, this is Alex Israel from Alon Shvut and uh, this week we are going to start opening Parshat Noach and we're going to start with the opening lines of of the Parsha. Um, so let's read a few lines. Ela told Noach, this is the lineage of Noach. Noach ish tzaddik. Noach was a righteous man. Tamim haya bedorotav. He was perfect or blameless in his generation. Eta Elokim Hitalech Noach. Noach walked with God. I'm sure many of you are familiar with the statement of Rashi, uh, where Rashi raises the possibility that maybe Noach was a tzaddik only in his generation, but would not have been in other generations. For the moment, we're going to look at Noach as a tzaddik, a tzaddik in an absolute sense. And uh, the psukim continue, Vayoled Noach shlosha banim shemet chamet yafet. Noach gave birth to three children, Shem, Cham, and Yafet, Vatishachet ha'aretz lifnei ha'elokim, Vatimalei ha'aretz chamas. Vatishachet, from the word uh, to, to, to become ruined, to become destroyed. The land became ruined before God, and the land was filled with violence, or Hamas is not clear, corruption. Vayar elokim et ha'aretz nishchata. God saw the land and it had become ruined because all flesh had corrupted its way in the world God said to Noach the end of all flesh has come before me for the land has become full of their Hamas, of their corruption, literally, I will bring about their ruin together with the land. In other words, I'm going to destroy the land because they have destroyed it. These are the chilling lines which open um, Parshat Noach. And the story which is well known as the Mubble, and some people translate that as a flood, but I would actually like to describe Mubble maybe in a different way. And that the Mubble is, comes from the word, like we know, which means to get confused, Balal, to mixed. Later we'll talk about that when we get to Migdal Bavel. And of course Mubble doesn't only mean a flood, it means to mix everything, to confuse everything, to um, create a... a a, a mixture and uh, what do I, I mean by that when we're dealing with the marble we're essentially dealing with a situation where God decides to destroy the world uh, maybe I should say rather than here embrace it where Vayar Elohim Kitov now Vayar Elohim Nishchata God sees the world and it is destroyed and what God decides to do is to bring water on the world, essentially to bring the world back to a state where it is covered with water. We all remember the initial stage of Bereshit, where Baruch Elokim, Merachefet al Hamayim, the world is covered only with water. It's a world of tohu vavohu, a world of confusion. In other words, 
What God is doing more than destroying his world is he is decreating his world. He is going to decreate the world, return the world to Tova Vohu, and then recreate the world, um, put it back. Um, and we shall, in our reading of Parashat Noach, very much be describing this process. It's a process which is chiastic, it's symmetrical, it is... Um, we will see the waters rising and the waters subsiding. Maybe one of the clearest examples of this is that we will see um, a period of seven days before uh, Noah goes into the Teva, the Ark, then 40 days of rain, then 150 days uh, where the waters swirl, then another 150 days where the waters subside, followed by another period of 40 days um, where until the uh, Teva really settles and then obviously seven days when Noah sends out the, the birds, be it the raven or the uh, dove, the Yonah. In other words, we have 7, 40, 150, 150, 40, um, These numbers which lead us to a understanding that we have a symmetrical process happening, as I have called it, a decreation and a recreation. And we will see in many of the features here that uh, that is what is going on. Um, if that is our background, then I want us to pay special attention to these opening lines of Parshat Noach and even to look back at the Maftir of um of parshat Breshit, because in fact the decision to destroy the world or to decreate the world is taken twice and these statements these two statements or these two decisions are very very carefully crafted one b'shem hashem and one b'shem elokim one with god's name yudke vavke and one with god's name elokim and uh, if any of you have been listening to our um, podcasts, specifically the one we did on chapter 2 of Breshit, you will recall that there is chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Breshit. Um, Genesis chapter 1 sets up the world in a very structured way, in uh, the natural world following specific rules, um, in a hierarchical way with man the most responsible. Man, man in the image of God. And in chapter 1 of Breshit, the name of, used for HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Elohim. Elohim, as we said, represents simply power, forces of nature. And that is what God is. God here, if you want, is more objective, authoritative, distance. In chapter 2, however, the name added to God is Yudke Vavke. Yudke Vavke is an intimate name for God. It is a verb, it's, it's, a, 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 it's a name for God which comes from verbs which are related to being. It is a notion of God's being and it always represents intimacy, relationship, closeness, as opposed to Elohim, which represents distance. You can talk about Ha Elohim, the God. Um, you will never talk about uh, the Avram, the Yitzchak, the Yaakov, the Sarah, the Rivka, the Rachel. 
Yudke Vavke is a is a personal, intimate name for God, whereas Ha'elokim describes like the judge, the policeman, and what have you. Elokim is a distant name. God creates the world with both of his names. God creates the world in chapter 1 in one dimension, a dimension where he is transcendent, where he is a creator, where he is distant, where he sets up a rule-based world. And in chapter 2, he shows us a different dimension of the world where God shows that he is close, he is intimate, he is not transcendent, but he is imminent, he is caring about, about humankind. If he created the world B'Shem Hashem or B'Shem Elohim, now he destroys the world B'Shem Hashem or B'Shem Elohim. And if I read the Maftir of um, Bereshit, Vayar Hashem, Yudke Vavke, God saw Ki Ra'ata Adam Ba'aret, that the evil of man was great in the world. The man who in chapter 2 had been given the choice between Tov Vara, the Eitzadah Tov Vara, now Kol Yitzem Machshavot Libor Rak Rakol Hayom. Notice, man is at the centre of this world. This is a world where man is at the centre, just like in chapter 2. The world is, uh, God is most interested in man. And all man's thoughts have become evil. And now, Vayinachem Hashem Ki Adam, God regrets that he made man. It hurts his heart. It upsets God. He's very sad. God's intimacy is here. And God says, I'm going to destroy man. If he's destroying man, then why does he destroy everything else? Because, again, recall chapter 2. First man is created, and then the animals are created as a response to man. Everything in the garden is created as a response to man. Man is at the centre. If man disappears... What's the point of anything else? In this regard, when, if man is at the center, if man has become evil, what's the point of anything else? Oh, who is saved here? And why is he saved? Again, a personal reason. The Noach Matzachain Beine Hashem, a lovely phrase, because Noach backwards is Chain, a palindrome, but Noach Matzachain Beine Hashem. Noach has a relationship with God, it's all about relationship, Beshem Yudke Vavke, Beshem Hashem, and that is why he's saved. Suddenly, Parshat Noach opens with a new paragraph and a different dimension of God. Um, destroying the world here the reason is going to be we're not going to see the intimacy of God's pain about man we're also not going to see as we did at the end of Parshat Bereshit all of the man's desires and his uh, passions and him going after Nashim Hashem here we see a more objective distant description where God says, It's not man. The whole world has become corrupt. The world has become ruined. Uh, Rashi says, Not only is human beings corrupted their way, but even animals. This is an objective view. And in this regard, Noach is chosen because Noach is tzadik tamim haya 
Not that Noach Matzachin Be'enei Hashem, not that he has a personal relationship, but objectively, Noach is an Ish Tzadik. He is objective. This is what we have. Why am I paying so much attention to these two um, diverse depictions of God's decision to decreate the world? Because when we read through the story of Noach and the Flood, we will notice a huge amount of repetition. And anybody reading through chapter 6 and chapter 7 uh, will see that it seems like the text is repeating itself in two different ways. And the reason for this is because just like God creates the world, B'Shem Hashem or B'Shem Elohim, God creates the world in a dual dimension. Um, and just like he and he is also going to destroy the world and recreate the world in those same two dimensions. I think this is quite important. Um, God is not disposing of his world. He's not scratching it out and starting again. God is not going to abandon his world as we're going to see, um, but rather he is going to uh, make adjustments, um, put it back to Tovavo and put it back again, but he doesn't, if you want, um, just put an end, turn the lights out, and then start from scratch. So let's continue reading, um, and I'm going to stress the idea, or stress the understanding, that at the beginning of this um, description, we're going to see all the way till the end of chapter 6, um, Hashem speaking to Noach, B'Shem Elohim. So let's read again uh, from Pasuk Yud Gimel. The end of all flesh has come before me. Because the land is filled with violence or filled with corruption. And uh, the world has, uh, maybe we'll even say, uh, ruined itself in some way. Or I'm really going to destroy them. Um, um, you should make an ark of gopher wood and you're going to make it with the cells and uh, cells for the animals, kinim, with cages for the animals. You're going to cover it inside and outside with some sort of insulating um, material. The word kofer, fascinating. Um, kofer can mean later on we come across that word being the kaporet, the cover of the holy ark. Because uh, kaporet, and here kofer, means an insulating material, a covering material. Um, we talk about kapara, atonement. Atonement covers over our sins. Or we talk about a kofer, a bribe. A bribe, in English there is a phrase, I will grease your palm. Bribing is greasing your palm. Likewise here, the kofer. I will, uh, it says, you should, what you should do is you should insulate it, both inside and out. You're going to make it 300 cubits long. 50 wide. And 30 um, cubits high. Incredibly high. You shall make a, a, a window um, at the uh, a skylight. Uh, and 
and uh, within one cubit of the top you will finish it. And make a, a door in the side. You're going to make lower, middle and upper decks. And... Um, I'm going to bring this flood, this confusion, water over the land, to destroy all flesh, which has the spirit of life, under the heavens, everything on the earth shall perish. I'm going to make my covenant with you, and you will come into the ark or to the Teivah. And also all, not only you and your wife and your, your your children and your children's wives, but from all living things, from all flesh, you two of each shall come into the ark with you, male and female. Um, the um, birds or, or maybe we'll say the fowl of each kind and the cattle of each kind and from all that crawls, crawls on the earth of each kind two of each thing shall come to you to be kept alive and now the last detail which I want to relate to take all food that will be eaten and it will be for you and for them for food. And Noach did, just as God commanded him, that indeed is what he did. What do we see here? The whole purpose is survival. And as I mentioned, this is the description of Shem Elohim. It's only in this description that we see the Teva which is given to us in such incredible detail. 300 cubits long, 50 wide, 3 floors, 30 uh, cubits high. And um, it's really interesting because maybe the 3 floors remind us of the 3 first days of creation. And that's describing sort of the environment of, just like the environment of the world was created in three days. Here we have the three floors, which provide, if you want, the back backdrop, the vertical and horizontal spatial space for the world. And maybe that's why it's three floors, just like the three days. And then, of course, we have the introduction of all the animals, just like and we have even the birds on day five and day six. And at the end of it, of course... Um, we have their food. We have... Uh, which really, really reminds us of Sefer Breshit, uh, of Breshit Perak Aleph, where we're told there, uh, in almost a similar phrase, um, it will be for you. In other words, this capsule, this teva, is a surrogate world. It represents the world, if you want, in waiting. We're going to soon see that the um, flood happens for 300 and 
65 days. It happens for an entire solar year. Um, it's almost as if the whole world is encapsulated in this uh, little capsule of a teva. And in that regard, I want to pay attention to verse 18, chapter 6, verse 18, which tells us, Vahakimoti et briti itcha. I will make my covenant with you. What exactly is this covenant that is being made with Noah? Um, what's the covenant? Rashi says, Brit shelo Um that Noah needed a covenant that the food would remain fresh. How is the food that he takes with him going to actually remain fresh for an entire year? Um, that needed a, a special promise. Also, says Rashi, As the floodwaters start, that the uh, powerful forces within society will not kill him. Interesting. Um, Ibn Ezra says, um, he's asking Noach to engage in this incredible construction project of a teva. What is the covenant he makes with him that he says to him, uh, it is a sign that God promises that him and his children will not die in the great flood, um, even if this is not explicitly mentioned. Um, and again, everybody's looking for what could possibly be the the covenant so god's making obviously i've made an agreement with you what would it be i'm not sure there's any basis for apart from conjecture uh for rashi's reading and even for ibn ezra's reading um i guess ibn ezra's trying to read the pshat i will establish my covenant with you and you will come into the ark you and your son and your wife and your sons and your wife and their and their wives in other words You'll survive long enough to actually go into the ark and you're going to be saved. However, there is an amazing reading in um, a Midrashic text called the Midrash Haggadol. Um, it's, a it's a collection of Midrashim, actually of a Yemenite source. And there he says, which covenant? Rabbi Leza Omer, zu betelim. That the world will continue. And uh, this is echoed by many other commentators, for example, the Abarbanel, who says that uh, what is this covenant made with mankind, with Noah? What is it, that Noah, I'm promising you that the world will continue. The laws of nature are called a covenant, and uh, this I will, I will uphold with you. Um, Nitziv, the uh, 19th, 20th century Rosh Hashiva Velazhin has the same approach as does the uh, academic uh, Umberto Casuto who says that the idea here is that God is essentially uh, indicating to Noah that he will keep the world going. What I've tried to present in this depiction B'Shem Elohim is that what God is essentially doing is allowing the survival of mankind, the continuation of the world. Indeed, the world has to be, has come to an end. That, as it says here, man's behavior 
behavior on earth has made it such that society has ruined itself and now god is going to bring it to a state of ruin and yet god is going to continue everything and just like he has a world he is going to continue this world through the teva however suddenly as we open chapter 7 perak zion we see us revert back to shame hashem vayoma hashem lenoach and by the way this obviously must have been much later on because here he's going to say, Bo Go into the ark. Um, this is obviously the whole construction of the ark has already been done. In fact, fascinatingly enough, the description of the ark is only B'Shem Elohim and not B'Shem Hashem. Um, maybe because B'Shem Hashem, God is only interested in his relationship with Noah and not the destructions of the objective description of the world. And now we go forward to literally a short amount of time before the uh, a week before the water is going to come i'll read these lines from Perak zion pasuk aleph god says to noach you on all of your households come into the teva always personal always relationship i have seen you as a tzaddik not an objective noach ish tzaddik you are my tzaddik, so to speak. And he says here, And surprise, I thought we were meant to take two of every kind. Suddenly he says, of all of the pure animals, take seven, male and female, actually calls them ishvishto. From animals who are not clean, to only take two ishvishto. Here, by the way, man is given a more far-reaching mission. It is not just survival, but it's also the propagation of a new society. And in this role given to man, Meshem Hashem, that he's not only going to need to survive, but he's going to need to propagate not just Lachayot, but Lachayot Zera, He's going to actually need to replenish the world. Suddenly we see B'Shem Hashem, that the notion of seven, seven birds, seven of the clean animals. We might well ask, how does Noach know the difference between clean animals and unclean animals? These are terms which are used later on in the Torah to designate kashrut and other things. And yet, these seven clean animals, why do we need them? And he says, In seven days' time, I'm going to make it rain for 40 days and 40 nights. Again, very intimate language. I'm going to wipe out um, from, the, uh, from the world or everything I've created for Alpani Adamab and now the conclusion of this Vayas Noach Kohol Ashetzivahu Hashem. Um here by the way I want to pay attention to a few other phrases. The notion of Matar. We know that Matar is always used as a sign of Scharva Onesh, an intimate Scharva Onesh. Um Hashem Him Tiral Sodom Gafrit Vaish. When he destroys Sodom it's going to be with Matar in the second paragraph of the Shema. Uh, we are given uh, if we worship God, but if we don't, uh, if we worship idolatry, God closes up the heavens. Matar is an instrument so of, of God's um, intimacy 
reward, punishment, constant hashgacha, uh, providence over the world. Here too, the word matar is used. Also, waiting seven days and God's going to make it rain for 40 days and 40 nights. Um, this period of 40, which always represents a entire period, a transition period, we'll talk more about it next time, is all B'Shem Hashem. Um, we're going to talk more about this as we go through the text in our future classes, but I'd like to end with one beautiful, beautiful idea, um, which is uh, brought by the Ramban, uh, Nachmanides, and um, he talks about the interesting question about the uh, Teva. And he says, uh, the Teva is so large, but it really, could it really have contained, if you've got something, 300 cubits, um, maybe, how much is that? That's uh, 50 yards um, by by uh, 50 cubits and if it's going to even if it has three floors he says it cannot possibly hold all of mankind um it's not something which can can really contain all of mankind and he says if it's already going to be miraculous then why not just make a small teva in other words, there are many, many big questions that we have about the Teva. We've already mentioned, how do you keep food fresh for a year? How do you stop the lion from killing the antelope in the Teva? Um, I would mention more than that. It seems, uh, according to our biology that, uh, or zoology, that certain animals are carnivorous. I'm not quite sure I understand how they existed before animals were allowed to uh, eat meat in general. And it's very perplexing to us how all the animals really fit into this space um how one could really store food which would which would be able to feed you know rhinoceroses and elephants and god knows what for an entire year where 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 was there room in this teva which leads us to believe that there were it was miraculous that they couldn't really fit in there but uh god made it be able to contain all of those animals in which case then why make it so big anyway? Just make it, I don't know, uh, through the looking glass, Alice in Wonderland, make it into something which is a very, very small boat and just everything will go in by a miracle. If you're already doing a miracle, do it some other way. And um, what does he say? The Ramban says that, um, he says, Asu otagdola lama'it banis. God told him to make it large, to minimize the miracle. This is such a tremendous lesson in how we uh, look at the world. As much as possible, you have to do what you can do. And you, as much as possible, we work on the natural. Says the Ramban. That is how we work with all the miracles. Man has to do what he can do. And if God has to add his own part, let it be that way. Um, and therefore, um, and I would, I would actually say this is something which again relates to this phenomenally hybrid text 
this text which unites the Shem Elohim, the natural world. In the natural world, you have to have an ark which is 300 cubits by 50. You have to make it large. But in the world of God's intimacy, in the world of Perak Bet, in the world of Yudke Vavke, it can, uh, miracles can happen. We can even have a small teva. And uh, we always have to do in our world what we can do. Uh, we work on the basis of a world which has natural laws, but at the same time we always make room for God to be able to be close, for God to be able to do things for humankind. Um, and this is this is what we have. We're going to pick this up again next time as we follow through the advancing uh, floodwaters, and hopefully next time we'll also be able to make it to see the waters uh, subside um, and the turning point of the flood. Thank you for listening, and next time we'll be continuing with our study of Parashat Noach.